0: APU. American Public University is proud to present the following podcast.
1: Hi, it's Dr. Marie Gould Harper from American Public University. Today we have Mr. Enrique Rubio, and he is the founder of Global Hacking HR, as well as the co-founder of Cotopaxi. And today we're gonna pretty much talk about digitization of the workplace. He has a very strong background in that area. I consider him to be a extremely helpful systems person and we're gonna get his perspective on a number of things. Hi, Arunque, how are you doing today?
0: Hello, Marie, thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here to talk about the digital transformation of the workplace, technology, future of work, and all the things that are happening right now.
1: Great, great. It's becoming imperative for businesses to automate a number of processes previously held by individuals. What do you see as the reason for this boom in the workplace? I want to say perhaps a couple of things. Number one, it
0: is, of course, companies are looking to become more effective, more productive, more efficient in the way they use their resources. And of course, their time and all the things that they have available. So when you think about I'm going to give you just one example. You think about 30, 35 years ago, somebody working on a typewriter, and today somebody working in a computer. That person today in the computer is way more effective and probably has a higher performance in doing his or her work by having that computer versus somebody working with a typewriter, which, by the way, I saw recently somebody with a typewriter. So you think about technology as an enabler of people, and organizations to become more effective, more productive, to drive higher performance. So that is from the sort of the company side. Now, from the human side, there's one thing that sometimes gets neglected, but hopefully will become more and more important as we transition into this thing that we call the future of work. And it is that as we sort of source out some of the activities that we do as humans and we put them in the hands of technology, hopefully we're going to be releasing or freeing up some time in our day-to-day work so that we can use that time to be more creative, to add more value, to do the things that technology cannot do. So it is important for organizations to embrace technology as not only the, the means to become more effective and more productive, but also as the means to allow their people to free up some time that they are using in doing more transactional administrative kind of activities and using that time to start creating more value. Let me give you one example of that. Think about the call centers. Now call centers are using artificial intelligence via chatbots to have a tier one, a very basic tier conversation with their clients. So, if you have somebody working in a call center, you may want that person to engage with people in the kind of problems that they are having that are more difficult to resolve and that require perhaps more empathy, more rapport and more understanding of what that customer is coming from. Now, if the customer is just asking, eh, what's the phone number to talk about this? Or how much money do I have in my bank account? You don't want a person responding to those questions. Those questions can be easily resolved by a computer. So if you think about technology, it will allow you to resolve those very basic things using technology, so that humans can be dedicated to activities that are more value generating, so to speak. Those are the two things that are most important right now in terms of how technology is driving this
1: transition or this sort of reshaping of the workplace. That's great. You've basically given me some ideas that I've never really thought of, especially as I've explained to people why automation is not our enemy and that it really is an effective tool And one of the things that you share was the fact that it's going to free up the time to be creative. I've heard a number of people talk about, well, humans will have more time to work on other projects, but they have never really discussed it in detail as you have. A couple of things that I think You mentioned that I hope our listeners pick up on is the fact that you get to be more creative, add more value to the organization, and just come up with those innovative ideas that will give you the competitive edge over those other people in your particular industries. And I think we neglect that particular area because we don't think of it as a hardline activity that you have to do in your day to day work duties. And I think it's important that we embrace the, I guess, opportunity to be able to do something different than the regular day-to-day activities. One of the things that you mentioned, and I actually saw one too, the typewriter. I went into our division of revenue office and there was a typewriter there. And I actually thought I had gone into a museum too, but that office still uses it in 2019. So I thought that was interesting. You brought it up as well. One of the things that I wanted to go back to was when you were talking about the cost centers. In your opinion, that has always been an area of concern for a lot of customers, the type of customer service that they receive from different businesses in terms of timeliness as well as quality of service. When you talked about the type of AI that they're using, I'm assuming you're talking about the automated part where there are common questions that people tend to ask and they have it set up with an auto-intendant, and then also the opportunity that a live person can come on to ask the more difficult questions. In your opinion, do you think that also opens it up for the ability to do more remote hiring so it doesn't really matter where the people are?
0: I am rooting for that to happen, (laughs) in all honesty. I think we are seeing, of course, a transition to work models that are more flexible. And it doesn't only have to do with the fact that the kind of work that we do today is different from the kind of work that we were doing 50, 60, 70 years ago, right? You don't require to be in an office anymore, right? Touching something and making that something, like creating something tangible. It's more the kind of job that you can do from whatever you want. And today we have the technology available for that to happen. If you add the cost of people commuting to work, the health care cost, the time, gas, all of those things, they are part of the equation of what people consider a good sort of working package, benefit package in the company. So if they are allowed to work from whatever they want, maybe they can be closer to their families. Maybe they can be living in cities that they love and like more or are cheaper, and they don't have to be stuck in traffic, for example, to commute to work. And all those things are powered today by technology. I mean, you and I are right now in different geographical locations, and we are recording this podcast. Last night, I had a call launching the Hacking Nature chapter in Kansas City. The day before, it was Paris and Silicon Valley and Singapore. And all those things are powered by technology. So I think the opportunities that technology is opening to companies and people are just innumerable. One of them is call centers, allowing people, allowing technology to do the basic work and allowing people to kick in their role or their task or their projects when technology cannot resolve anymore those very basic questions or situations or whatnot. And I think those things can be done from literally anywhere. As long as you have a computer and as long as you have your smartphone and a good internet connection, I think you have all you need to do your work. Of course, this is not applicable for a firefighter or a police officer. I mean, they have to be in their stations or patrolling the streets. Very often, you can do human resources work from anywhere you want. If you are in areas like recruiting, maybe onboarding, even design thinking, leadership development, and those things can be done from anywhere, just because technology is allowing us to do that. I am very optimistic about the future of work. I think we are going to experience times of better performance, more productivity. People will, will have the opportunity to be more dedicated to adding and creating value by being creative and by using their full potentials. I think we're going to see a new approach to work. What concerns me the most is not where we're going to, it's the transition to get there because as you know change management i think generally people don't like change not because change of itself in itself but because of the transition to get there and that transition i think is going to be extremely complicated last year mckinsey released a report saying that anywhere between 375 and 800 million jobs could be automated and they could be replaced by technology so we're talking about 25 or 30% of the global workforce potentially being replaced by technology. Of course, people will be sort of taking over new roles and new activities and new things, but I don't think we are ready to get 30% of the global workforce with the new uh, sort of prepare them with the new skills that they need to embrace the new jobs that are going to be needed or societies, governments and institutions are ready to manage all the complexities that will come up from having such level of complex transition, so to speak. So the, the message is, yes, technology will allow us to do to be more creative, to use our full potential, but we have to get ready for the transition. We have to embrace the new skills that are needed in order to remain relevant for this very complex future. And in that sense, not only am I optimistic, but I'm also realistic. I am not sitting down waiting for technology to do some of the transactional activities that I do, and for me to become more creative, but I'm embracing and learning this kind of skills that I think could be important in the areas of passion that I have HR,
1: technology, future of work. Great. I like those different ideas that you brought up. And just so that you know, I've actually been a remote worker for, I think it's been over 15 years with three different positions two of the positions, it was as a regular worker and in a management capacity. And the first one was actually as a HR representative. So I was responsible for ensuring that it was properly implemented as well as maintained. And I think you hit on one of the points that when I hear people say that it can't work, I automatically know that they're struggling or they are not effectively using technology to assist their human capital in terms of having the right systems and processes in place. And if they could tweak that, they would see the benefits because I totally agree with some of the things that you've been saying is we have workers actually doing things that could be done by the system while we leverage our human capital to be creative. And as I had mentioned before, to keep us abreast of the competition and doing what's next for our particular organizations. And as you were speaking, another thought came to my mind, and it was the fact that with so many organizations cutting the training budget, what better way than to free up an employee's time so they could self-develop themselves, come up with career plans And just have the opportunity and time to think about what they needed to do in order to improve their skill set and then just go out and do it with that time that we free them up from the regular mechanics of the job that technology can take care of. So I appreciate you going into that direction because you're causing me to think of new ideas, especially as I become an advocate or still am an advocate for the benefits of remote working. Okay, to our audience, I have a really great question for Enrique after this break, and you won't want to miss it. Please stay tuned. Today's managers face
0: constant challenges in achieving success in competitive national and international markets. At American Public University, grow your skills in areas such as business administration, hospitality management, and global leadership. Take the next step in your management journey and apply today at study at apu.com.
1: We are back from the break. Enrique, we were talking about remote working and all of the possibilities and benefits that it could offer many organizations. What I consider to be challenge of an effective work at home or remote distance virtual program is the type of policies that organizations implement in order to support such a system. And I've also seen that some of the obstacles are attitudes towards not being able to see workers. And I'm speaking to the middle management. It's something new. They're not accustomed to it, and they're not quite sure on how to track. I personally don't think we should focus on tracking, especially the minutes of a day for a work item to get completed. I think we should look at the overall product and think about things in terms of project management. When are we going to deliver the items that we need to do? What are your thoughts about what companies can do in terms of policies?
0: Marie, that is a great question. And I want to backtrack a little bit and say something before answering that question. Pierre term the late CEO of Accenture, he just passed away a couple of weeks ago. He said, that digital is the main reason why over more than 50% of the Fortune 500 companies have disappeared since the year 2000. And the reason why I say that it's because change is inevitable. So whether companies and organizations don't want to catch up with the new world of work, if they decide not to do it, they will be steamrolled by the companies that are deciding to change to adapt to these new times, to this new world of work. And that, of course, also relates to policies. I find extremely disturbing that still today, in this time and, and this age, there are leaders, quote-unquote leaders, that they still feel that they need to see the worker sitting on his or her desk for them to think that people are actually working. That is not something that has to do anything at all with the worker, but with the leader Because if the leader doesn't trust his of her team, what sense does it make to have them in the first place, right? To then have them in there, to tell them what to do, to not let them do their flexible work arrangements, because you think that you have to see them for them to be doing actual work. That is on the side of the leader. And of course, sometimes policies are supporting that kind of leadership. They don't allow people to do telework because they think that people will be just being lazy at home or whatnot. I just think that in these times that we're living in, what I've seen is people are trying to do work that is meaningful, that is important to them, where they find that they don't have to be sitting in a desk all day or nine hours every day after commuting two or three hours to do their work, but that they feel that they are trusted by their companies, by their leaders to do the work that they need to do and that they are measured not by the time that they spend in an office with the outcomes and the results that they are producing. This is a whole different kind of mindset that does not have to do anything with technology. Now, if you want to remain relevant, if you want to thrive in this very complex, fast-paced moving future of work, or the thing that we call future of work, you must embrace change as your new reality. And part of change is updating your policies in order to make them more appealing to the way the workforce is behaving today, this idea of flexible work schedules or work arrangements has trickled down to all generations working in any given company. It's not just millennials or generations that want to work from home. I think generally people are valuing this much because they can spend more time with their families, they spend less time commuting, they spend less less money in gas, less uh, likelihood of getting in an accident or things like that. So this doesn't have to do anything with technology, it has to do with the willingness to change. And I want to give you perhaps a little story that I interviewed Steven Sasson three or four years ago. Steven Sasson was the guy who created the very first digital camera and uh, in Kodak. Of course, we all know that Kodak went bankrupt in 2012. And this guy in 1975, he came to the executive team and said, hey, guys, I created this camera. It seems to be pretty cool. It sounds like something that will replace film uh, photography. What do you guys think? And the executive team at Kodak said, well, that sounds interesting, but we don't think that film photography will ever be replaced. So continue, Stephen, continue doing that work back there in your little dark room with your other two folks that you're working with. And we're going to keep that in the back burner for the next few years. What happened 30 years later? Kodak went bankrupt because they didn't embrace the technology and the change that was right in front of them. So my message to your listeners is it doesn't always have to do with technology. It has to do with your willingness to change. And let me give you even sort of a deeper, more perhaps transformational advice. Your people already know the direction in which you need to change. It's not that they don't know. Is your willingness to listen to them will determine whether you get ready for that change or not, and whether you become aware of that change or not. Using the example of Kodak, Steven Sasso knew that this was going to happen. He wasn't listened to, so the company went bankrupt 30 years later. Cycle business cycle times today are way faster. So if your company is not getting ready for change and listening to your people who already know where this change is happening and the direction in which you should be going. And you're making a huge mistake. You're making a huge mistake. So I responded to this question about policies in a very broad way. But policies, of course, are what keep a sense of a structure. I myself, I am a little bit of a rebel, so to speak. So I, I have been, for many years, I have been very much against the kind of policies that prevent people from unleashing their full potential because that is an organizational mistake. You must look at your policies in the way that you have some level of a structure so that things don't fall through the cracks so that you have some level of structure, but at the same time that they are flexible enough either to allow people to unleash their full potential at work and to be flexible, to update those policies as times change.
1: So I hope this is helpful. I'm a broad thinker as well. And I'm like, what is the big picture? And even though I have posed the question on what policies, as you begin to speak, and even as you close with like not being direct about the policies part, I just have a new thought. And sometimes policies can hinder an organization from being effective because we get so caught up in, are we doing the right thing? And some of the points that I really like that you said, was the idea and notion that we work in cycles. And I think one of the unfortunate things that happen to organizations, again, especially at that middle management level, is that we get caught up in an idea, it's successful, and then we keep wanting to do the same thing over and over again, year after year, because we had such a successful event that first year. But what you mentioned is time changes and we have to keep up with the times and we can't rely on past successes that we have to continue to grow. And in order to grow an organization, you have to grow the individual. And part of that growth is having or offering a quality of lifestyle and with a person being able to make a decent living. And I think those are a couple of the challenging issues to many organizations. And I believe it's because people are just stuck in the old way of thinking in terms of the world of work. Yes, we have a lot of literature out there. We talk about it, we have the buzzwords, but people are aware of it, but they have not embraced it in order to start to implement different changes within the organization so that their organization can remain competitive, not just in the industry, but on a global perspective. And I think those are some of the challenges that HR has to face in terms of if you want a seat at the table, you have to be able to. Show the CEOs the middle management level as well. I think the employees get it most. It's the management level that I think is struggling with it because they're so used to coming up with what the answer is, but they have to draw from all sources. And until we get to that point, we're going to have that struggle. What are some of your words of wisdoms that you would give a chief human resource officer in terms of what? He or she needs to take to those CEOs and other senior leaders of an organization in order to get the human capital in place with the proper systems and processes? That's
0: a great question. And uh, I, I want to begin perhaps by pointing out a couple of data points. The first one is that in 2017, and these two data points are coming from the same report by Deloitte, the Human Capital Trends Report of 2017. The first data point is that 93% of HR in organizations is not ready for the era of digital HR, which is pretty disturbing, so to speak, because we are living in the digital times. And the fact that most HR functions are not ready for that should generate an immediate and urgent call to action. So that's number one. The second data point is that in the same report or in the report from the year before of Deloitte, they found that 40% of all the CHROs were coming from operations and from what we continually call the business side and not from HR, which to me is really telling because that sort of drives me to the conclusion of the C-suite at any given organization doesn't trust their HR leaders to become CHROs. So they need to bring somebody from quote unquote the business. So that is really, really scary, right? That's the path which we're going uh, in HR. So how do we get that seat in the table? I want to say that I get this question very often. And to me, it goes down to a little bit of the dilemma of who's first, the chicken or, or the egg. Should we get a seat on the table before adding the right level of value that we need to be adding in order to be there? Or should we start adding value and become so important within the organization that nobody wants to do anything without having anything involved? So the question to your listeners, to your HR leaders is this. When you think about your company, do your people, do your business leaders think about you as I want to have you in my meetings because if I don't have you, I'm missing half of the important things that are happening in the world? Number one. Or do they think, like, no, I'm not going to invite that person? Are you crazy? They will come to this meeting saying no to all the things, saying we cannot do that or we don't have the resources or that's not possible or we don't have the people or we don't have the policies. So, what kind of HR do you want to be? The one that is needed. The one that is better. So to answer that question, to me, is all about adding value. And to add value, I want to help people sort of focus on four things. Number one, you have to have an extreme focus on people. You have to put humans first. That is your first concern. How do you put people first? Of course, the health of your organization, the long-term health of the organization, is critical. But if you don't have the right people, if you don't, have, if the people that you have do not feel comfortable or that they are having a great experience working at that company, you're basically not doing anything. You're doing a disservice to the organization. So focusing on people. Number two is truly understanding what the organization is about. And this may sound so basic, so, so basic, but I have done several conferences and talks about HR, and I always ask participants, can anybody say, if you really know what your company is truly about, and you only get ten or fifteen percent of the people raising their hands, so most people don't really know the company for which they are working for, and that of course is kind of scary as well. That you're working for a company from HR and you don't know what they are trying to do, you don't know what their goals are. So you need to understand that. So that is the second thing. Then the third thing is you have to become an innovative and an agile HR function, and this ties back, and Marie, with what you were saying before about policies. If your policies do not support business priorities if your policies do not promote the greatest employee experience then it's not your people it's not your company that are wrong it's your policies that are mistaken your policies are not the ones that should be in place so you need to step back review your hr processes your hr policies your hr function as a whole and say what things don't make sense what things we need to change and once you have that perspective you can going to start becoming a more innovative and agile function because you're going to start adapting your HR function as a whole to what the business priorities are and to generate this great employee experience. And then the fourth element is leveraging on technology. You cannot leave technology aside. But hey, a, a caveat here, technology is not the very first thing you need to be looking at. Technology will be the last stage in the process. The first stage is understanding your people, understanding your business, understanding your processes and revamping them or getting rid of them altogether if they don't make sense, and then thinking what kind of technology can give us the better opportunities to provide that great employee experience, to align with the business, and to become innovative and agile. But those four elements to me are the core elements for an HR function to truly add value and then Consequently, have that seat on the table and be wanted and needed by everybody in the organization and not dreaded by people and company leaders.
1: I like the four pillars. I'm going to start calling those the four pillars of success at an organization. And I think that's actually helpful suggestions and recommendations to HR people in terms of how do you get that seat back at the table? and very creative. And I like the fact that you said technology actually comes last. You need to put some things in place. Well, I want to thank you for coming and sharing those thoughts with us today, because it's been very helpful. It's been very enlightening, even to myself. And this is an area that I think I thrive in. And I think I'm where you are. I see where we should be headed, but it's a matter of getting everybody to go in the right direction, I think it's just
0: about embracing what's coming and to embrace what's coming. We got to leave behind the things that do not work anymore. We somehow we became it's like Marie Kondo kind of thing in your house, you know, like being a minimalist kind of thing, getting rid of the things that do not add value to you. I think the same thing happens not only in our personal lives, but in our professional lives and in the function that we do. We get so emotionally attached to things because we have done them in the same way for so long that when it's time to get rid of them or to leave them behind, we can't because we're clinging to them, right? We have to respect the past. That is for sure. We have to acknowledge that we have gone and come a very long way. And that is fascinating. But clinging or just remaining emotionally attached, to the things that we did in the past, because they worked in the past, that doesn't mean that they will work in the present or in the future. And we need to get rid of them. We have to just let those obsolete things go in order to embrace the new. And this is something that is Steve Jobs, he practiced something that is called the beginner's mind. It's the same practice of coming and seeing problems, like if you didn't know anything beforehand about that problem. And let me put it in another way, it's emptying the cup of knowledge that you have in order to fill it up with something new. And that's the way I hope HR people start tackling their problems. It is not neglecting or disregarding all that we learned in the past. It is just saying, let me see these problems, and let me see this reality, and let me see this future of work kind of thing from a different perspective, and not from the vices or the assumptions or the preconceptions that I'm bringing from the way I have done things for so many years. So it's embrace the new, and to do that, you need to let some things go. And that's hard. That's very, very hard. And by the way, that does not have anything to do with technology. Technology is in the middle of everything, but letting things go and embracing the new is a mindset. need a mindset shift in HR.
1: Great. And I think the final phase of that is dawn of a new day. Enrique, I want to thank you for joining us today. And we really appreciate some of the insight that you have shared with us. And it's given us food for thought for different policies and procedures that we need to put in place in order to be competitive in the future world of work. Thank you. Thank you so much, Marie, for inviting me. Thank you.
0: For more information about our university, visit us at
1: studyatapu.com. APU, American Public University.